Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Winston Preparatory School is a leading school network for students with learning disabilities. Learn more about Winston Prep and register for an open house at www.winstonprep.edu. And welcome to the show. I'm so delighted that Tony Wong joins us. Tony Wong is a state senator. He's going to roll off the towns that he represents in our WICC listening area. Uh, He's a Republican. He's been a friend of the Lisa Wexler Show for many, many years, and he's always welcome on. Hello, Senator Tony Wong. Hi, Tony. Welcome. Hi, Lisa. Not only a friend, but a fan of the show. And uh, I have the incredible privilege of representing uh, Fairfield, Easton, Newtown, Sandy Hook, and parts of Bethel. But previously had the privilege of representing you in in Westport and Weston. So always in my heart. Absolutely. Hey, listen, Tony, I was seeing this morning that there were a lot of huzzas and hoorays about how Connecticut had a spirit of cooperation. I got to read you something that I was just sent. I got to read it to you. I want I want your thoughts on this. Jason Rojas is the majority leader in the House. Now you're in the Senate. And he just tweeted this. Uh, He tweeted this. Oh, look, more drivel from a quote unquote nonpartisan yet elected GOP PNZ member who poses as an environmentalist community advocate, but is really just an anti-housing public relations social media bot. And happy Friday because 998 passed. And he was directing this at Alexis Harrison, who he then requoted in his tweet by talking about how she thinks SB 998 is Connecticut's largest unfunded mandate. Those are her words. I just saw that on a public Twitter feed. And, you know, Alexis Harrison uh, has been an environmentalist for many years. She's also somebody who collects a tremendous amount of food for the poor and the hungry and did so, I I know that you know this in Fairfield, weeks and weeks and weeks during COVID uh, and maybe after COVID. Um, But, I mean, I want your thoughts on that. Tony Wong? You know what, uh, Lisa, I, I think um, emotions get involved in, in these very uh, uh, divisive and, and challenging debates where there are strong viewpoints on both sides. Uh, 
Majority Leader, House Majority Leader Rojas is a, a terrific legislator uh, and, and, and a colleague that I enjoy working with. But he's also equally passionate about the shortage that we have in housing in the state of Connecticut, a, a, a feeling that I share with him. But we differ very strongly, a, along with many others, about how the solution needs to be. And uh, Alexis Harrison and CT-169 Strong has been a, a thorn in that discussion by raising viewpoints that, that, that challenges some of the proposals that are afoot. Just as equally emotive is when, you know, desegregate Connecticut policies get mentioned with some of the people who oppose housing. So we need to put that into proper context that um, divisive issues on, on housing, people's personal property, and the access to opportunity and equity becomes kind of a clashing point. It has been a longstanding debate that has existed. I, I've been in the legislature for 14 years, and, and it has existed even since then. But it's not just about housing. Look at our gun debate. It's so emotional, so divisive. Uh, there are other relative issues that, that kind of flare up in regards to being political wedge issues. Maybe they're legitimate from a divisive standpoint of sides being taken, but unfortunately, it has also become a political process. So this is what I want to say, Senator Wong. This is what I want to say, Tony. This is what I want to say to you. You're not wrong. You're right about the fact that it is very easy to personalize a lot of this. But when you have a title in front of your name, whatever that title is, In my view, you have an extra obligation of restraint when it comes to personal attacks. And Mr. Rojas has a title in front of his name. He is the House Majority Leader. He can go toe-to-toe with Alexis Harrison on CT169 Strong on the facts, on whether or not he thinks that her view, which is an unfunded mandate, is completely, maybe he thinks it's wrong or it's not enough or whatever it is on the issue. But that tweet was a personal attack. And I'm sorry, I don't give it a pass. It was a personal attack. It wasn't an issue-based attack. When it comes to issues, we all get very personal. But then it's up to us to step back and say, hold on, some of us have a title in front of our names, and we have to watch our words. It's, and it's one thing when we say them on the floor of whatever and we get excited in the heat of debate. But it's another thing when you say them in writing. And I'm sorry, I don't think that that kind of rhetoric is called for, nor does it help the conversation. And, and Lisa, I, I, I hear you loud and clear. I, I would pivot and just move the conversation by simply saying tremendous credit needs to be given to Mrs. Harrison and CT-169 Strong for such a small group with such limited capacity uh, for them to have tickle the ear of the majority leader who controls the vast machinery of legislative process is I'll I'll turn it and say, perhaps it's appropriate or inappropriate, like you said, but I'll give credit to CT 169 strong and Ms. Harrison for being so, so effective that it has piqued the interest or the annoyance of the majority leader of the house. Okay. How about that? Touche. Touche. I would agree with that. So Senator Tony Wong, you of course are a very elegant politician in the way that you express yourself as are many, many, if not most of the politicians who come on our show, 
but that was a very elegant um, display. So, so Tony Wong, what are you happiest and unhappiest about in terms of legislation that passed this session? Talk to us. Well, I think the first thing is we, we put a budget together in which all the parties, meaning House Republicans, Senate Republicans, House Democrats, House Senate, uh, the Senate, the Democrats, and the governor all had their ideas considered. The proposals were vetted, they were articulated, and they were listened to. When people feel as though they're part of the process, they're, they're much more collaborative. They feel that they have a skin in the game. And, and whether the majority and the governor who made the final decision, people felt as though, at least for me on the Senate Republican side, that some of our ideas were valued and taken and that we had an opportunity to represent the people that sent us to Hartford. And who and do you credit that for? Do you credit that to the governor himself or the Senate and House leadership of the opposing party? Who do you credit that to? I credit to the fact that we had a surplus. <laughs> Lisa. Ah, we, okay. we had some financial leeway in Got surplus it. in defining the priorities, not as to say no, but mm. to the percentages that we're able to give. It's a lot easier being able to, to kind of some aspects and, and I think one of the other critical elements that, that got forgotten because it's June is in the middle of January, all parties, along with the governor, agreed to a guardrail policy that said we need to live within our means. Even though we have these record surpluses, that money needs to be put into the rainy day fund and the excess amount, instead of being used for important programs that are, are, are being articulated and vied for, we need to put that down and save and, and, and par down our long-term liability. We did that in the past years of Rainy Day Fund, Lisa, and we were able to save over $300-plus million of interest payment yeah, that amazing. went into the budget to help pave roads, support our schools, support our educational institutions, and, and, and our community safety net. So when, when we did that, we kept in January a commitment to maintain those guardrails and live within our means. So we had parameters set that gave us a little bit more flexibility with surplus, but we didn't go out and live within our means. We're in a boom cycle right now in regards to tax returns and revenue. But th the point is we have to prepare for our bust. And, and, and the boom and bust cycle that we have lived in for the past 50 years in budgeting Connecticut is something that we're going to try to avoid. So, so in this respect, it was easier to get to a, a bipartisan basis because we had flexibility. One example, yeah. We, yeah. we funded education. We gave more. We didn't give as much as some of the legislative advocates that looked for or the entities, but we gave significant increases to budget allocation. Our nonprofits that, that I love and adore in our communities that are the very fabric of our, our safety net, they have been going without for so long. Mm -hmm. And we gave them a two and a half percent increase. They want a nine, but yeah, it gave right. them better than not. And, and I right. wish we were able to give them cost of living indexes, our special education arena, um, housing, housing, one of the most contentious issues. We gave over seven hundred million dollars to prioritize and support that. So in a bipartisan basis, we looked at that as a priority. Mass so let me ask you something, Tony, with the housing, the seven hundred million. Where is it going? 
That's an important question. One of the concerns in regards to the money that's been allocated, which reflects a priority and a compliment to the governor as he sets the budget and the bonding. When I say the $700 million, it's a kind of combined numbers. But, but we have to look at how it's spent. One of my fellow senators of the Finance Committee, Senator Martin, who is a builder, he had said, we need to spend this money wisely. I support this, but, but we can't spend $700,000 building an 800-square-foot unit. We have to understand that, that the economy right. of scale needs to be built in to create efficiencies. Mm-hmm. So I've had conversations to say, and the housing commissioner, who I have great respect for, that, that, that we need to par down and economize and manage the use of this money to create affordable housing opportunities in our state because we are in a crisis mode on that. So, yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you've heard. We can all agree to. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that the traditional affordable housing model is, is it's a relatively small percentage of an overall market based product, you know, like the 830G typical, where the developer puts in 10, 20, occasionally 30% affordable housing in exchange for getting more density and being able to bypass a lot of zoning requirements. And that usually causes a lot of pushback in a community. And what Westport has been proposing, I'm sure you've seen this, is, and it is admittedly with some land that Westport already owns, but that's where the money comes in, right, that Connecticut may have, yep. is it's saying, you know what, we, instead of building 80 to get to the 20, we're going to build that same amount of 20, but all of it be affordable housing, but we're going to build it on a suburban scale. We're going to build it instead of a high-rise multifamily. And this is making its way through approvals. It hasn't been approved yet. It's just been floated. But it's been floated to a lot of sort of, oh, welcoming acclaim. Because at least in the suburbia that I know, it's not about keeping out people because they're poorer. It's about looking at an ugly structure with more traffic and density that doesn't seem to have the feel and the vista of the community that you chose to live in. And so if you can take that plot of land and make it all affordable, but make it look like a suburban scale, a townhouse community, small cottages, you know, that kind of a thing, I think that you get a lot more community buy-in. I just do. Lisa, I couldn't agree with you more. And and having represented Westport, one of the one of the challenges with the divisiveness is post A30G, we had looked at affordable housing solutions as private developer driven. And that creates when you look at scarcity and land use and, and demands in regards to need and the availability of, of money to be able to buy into housing, that created such a divisiveness that, that it's hard to describe unless you had your property next door change altered and neighborhoods altered forever. So here's the model. I have always believed that in order to have solutions that, that are beneficial and, and proactive, solutions need to be done with local governance, state government, and federal government collaborating and finding solutions. Westport and Fairfield has been kind of denigrated in the, in, in the statewide for being exclusionary, but, but they, I remind them that, that, that Westport and Fairfield first began the homeless shelter in a private marketplace way before anybody else did. We have Operation Hope in Fairfield. We have yeah. Homes with Hope in Westport. We mm-hmm. have Sasco Creek. Uh, we have opportunities like, like Perry Court. Here's the thing. Those communities were established by local communities, church groups, 
Interfaith. That, and, the and Interfaith the Housing Council. The Interfaith Housing Council was the original name of Homes with Hope. That's what it was called. And it was established and, and, by the and, pastor and, at the Congregational Church, Saugatuck Congregational Church in Westport, Peter Powell. That's right. That, that's exactly right. Peter and I knew each other uh, from Rotary Days. He gave me the idea. But also in, in Fairfield, we have Parish Court, which was mm-hmm. started by three churches and which I used to sat as a board member on. That, that made a difference in the community. Yes. Our current policy is driven by private development. And I mentioned to the commissioner of housing and anybody who wanted to hear, this is a great opportunity to use the model. We can go into communities. And, and, and Lisa, I've had legislators from different parts of the state, well, you know, your towns don't want people in there. And I said, walk with me. Talk yeah, really? to people. Totally. We welcome the opportunity. And the example that you brought up about Westport, is one that I was intimately in. It was it was in the parish, uh, West Parish area. It yes. was land that was owned by the DOT. Mm-hmm. They had 12 acres. We proposed to take six acres. Uh, Ms. Dobin, the, the, the chair of planning development, and then Jim, uh, Jim Marpy, we all worked together and said, we at, approached the state and said, give us six acres of that property. You can still use the other six for the connector, and we can build 20-plus units of high-quality, 100% market rate, affordable housing de-restricted. And that idea was embraced by everybody, Lisa. Exactly. And because it's, because it's going to be attractive to and it's going to be in scale with the neighborhood. That's what the neighbors want. They want something that more or less looks like the rest of the community. We don't really care who lives there. We assume they're going to be nice people. We're not worried about that. It's just we don't want it to... We don't want it to look like an urban scale in a suburban environment. That's really what it's about. And the neighborhood of West Parish embraced it. Right. They loved it because instead of having transportation trucks, they could build a community that that, that they could embrace and support and interact with. But, But, Lisa, here's the problem. Not one media picked up that story. Not one media looked at that as a possible portrayal of how we can make and create opportunities and solutions. They wanted to denigrate Westport. They wanted to denigrate our local communities in saying our exclusionary practices. One of the first approaches I've said to all the detractors about that is come to our towns, walk it. Don't just take the press clipping about social exclusionary practices. Make no mistake about it. 50 years ago, were there existing exclusionary practices? Absolutely. When we first moved into this area 35-plus years ago, as Asian-American professionals, we were redlined. But, but the fact is that cannot be allowed to stand now, but we need to find solutions that are collaborative, that incorporate all shareholders' input. So in regards to housing, that would have been a great, great process to move forward with funding, with support. But unfortunately, this is the unfortunate part. When we talk about seeing kumbaya with the budget process and many of the processes that were positive, it is positive. Over 96% of our bills were passed with bipartisan input. Isn't that amazing? You never that hear that. That's amazing. But unfortunately, but unfortunately, Lisa, the House bill that, that was transformed and took a bill called Senate Bill 998, what people forget is I was intimately involved in that bill. That bill created a, a 
tax abatement for residents that have land and open space that they will now give easements to so that people can enjoy it for trails, for horse riding. That's so nice. And allow the opportunity, if the town feels that is consistent with their mission, to give them tax credit for that easement allowance. That's nice. Isn't that a great bill? Great idea. It's the carrot approach that, towards, you know, open space and nature and all of that. It's all good. That was the original bill of 998 that came out of the Senate and planning development. It sat in the House calendar. Then, unfortunately, the House leadership tacked on 40 different new sentences to that bill. 40 different language and and policy issues and land and zoning issues and affordable housing issues into that bill. If you read the title, it's an easement and abatement of taxes. It had nothing to do with it. So everyone talks about 998 as a housing bill because it got sabotaged and overtaken by the people in power to use it as a vehicle. The thing is, that's in that vote, Elise. Wait, Tony, Tony, hold on. I really want to hear you, but you're you're going a little underwater. You need a better connection. We need to go to commercial anyway. So let's be right back with State Senator Tony Wong. We'll continue to talk about the 96% that was bipartisan, the 4% that wasn't, and why. Stay tuned for a wrap-up of our legislative session with State Senator Tony Wong on the Lisa Wexler Show at 203-333-9422. We'll be right back. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome back to the Lisa Wexler Show, 203-333-9422, State Senator Tony Wong. State Senator, uh, is it the 28th District? What district do you represent? The 28th Senate District, so probably. The 28th. Got it, got it. Okay, so so Senator Wong, Tony, um, so you were starting to say, but you were going a little bit, because we can't help ourselves with our connections <laughs> nowadays. Uh, you were starting to say about SB 998 that it started out as an easement bill, and then 40 sections or so were added, and then what happened? And and that's where we lost the collaborativeness, is that these these languages were bills that, that were reviewed in, in housing committees and planning development committees and, and 
and did not meet the test to be voted on and would not have passed from some aspects were lumped into an aircraft carrier, and we had to vote on it. One vote, yay or nay. My frustration is that, that the opposing viewpoints were not sitting at the table in this like we did with a budget. And that, you know, just as you talked earlier about the majority leader and, and some of the Twitter notes, you, you ever get to a feeling, Lisa, that, that you want something so bad and, and you know that you're not going to get to it, but you've got the power to be able to make it happen, you do it. And it's probably not the most transparent and, and not the most truly accountable and reflective. I think that's what happened here because the, the fair share bill did not have the votes of, of a lot of Democrats in the commu- in their district. And, and, and so it was not going to be able to pass on its own. It was reduced to a study. And I think uh, uh, Representative Steinberg had an input in that. But the problem is it was tacked on and it was not voted on its merits. And, and the problem, in addition to that, people didn't have an opportunity to vet that process. What people need to understand that it is not simply a study. It mandated the study to be used to be implemented. Right. So let's be clear. It's, it has a force of law that says we're going to study this. Then it's going to be implemented without yeah. local input. And, and that's, the, that's the slippery slope that people opposed in regards to the fair share part of that regulation. It isn't just simply a, a nay. It was such a process in which things that were so dramatic that would significantly alter the landscape of every community in our state right. was now being inserted in the last minute without the proper due process. And, and that was one of the biggest failings for me in this bill is the fact that I would have loved to have voted for a lot of other sections of this bill, Lisa, and that's the other problem. I would have loved to have voted for housing security for our veterans, the, the strong statement of anti-LGBT uh, discrimination. We looked at one aspect of creating a carrot for communities that met their housing need to get inclusive municipality titles and would add 5% more to their school construction grants. That's money that would help build better schools. These, there were provisions in this bill that were really positive. But here's the problem. You, set, you tack in a couple of owners' landlord burden laws. You tack on a fair share that you sell as a study that is going to be implemented as a policy against local input. Then it's a no for me. But guess what? Here's the problem, Lisa. You cast a, a no vote for one bill, 998 that includes those aspects which you oppose and many others may agree, you're also going to vote no against a lot of other good bills. And here's the problem. Come next election year, you voted against protection of sexual orientation. You voted against my veterans. And you voted against school grants. Isn't that just a terrible political process? Yeah, yeah. It really... um... It seems very unfair to legislators when this happens. So you, so the, and the, and the reason for that, the blame for that is on powerful uh, leaders of the majority party who felt so strongly that they wanted to see this aspect of fair share go in, that they created this difficult choice for all the legislators. Is that the point? It's a lack of transparency. It's a lack of respect and accountability for the political process. And ultimately, it's a disservice to the roles that we have as representative government. 
And, and that's why I struggle with it. You know, having read through it, there are a lot of provisions that I was very supportive. And, and, and the problem is it's lumped into one, and we didn't have a chance. And people feel and, – and, and here's the worst part about this, Lisa. This is business as usual in people's mind. It is. I can't tell you how many people I, you know what, Tony Wong, I cannot tell you how many people, Senator Tony Wong, wrote back to me, called me, spoke to me privately and said, this is why I hate politics. This is why I hate politicians. This is why I don't want to have my heart on a sleeve and advocate for things because I feel like it just gets crushed in the end. I mean, it's very disheartening to the public that, let's say, follows an issue. And, and let me give me give a lot of respect because many of my listeners wanted to see affordable housing go forward. Maybe they didn't love the fair share piece of it, but maybe they did. But either way, as you said, it, it doesn't have its own sort of standalone debate. When it had its standalone debate, it was defeated in the House. And then, as you said, it just sort of reemerged in a different way. But it reemerged, and let's be fair, a lot of the people that said they weren't going to vote for it ended up voting for it on Friday night in the wee small hours of the morning, including Jonathan Steinberg, who came on yesterday to explain why he did it. But there, I understand I, that. And the most important thing, Lisa, you said it. You said it. For many of these standalone bills, hundreds, if not thousands of people voice their passion, mm -hmm. voice their supportive or opposition viewpoints as a standalone bill. And, and the fact that it was lumped into one bill that had no identifying factor, even the wrong title, is, is just insulting. And it, it, it is, again, a, 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 a disservice to, to participation, due process, and, and representative transparency. And, and it's frustrating because, unfortunately, people will forget, and come election time, you voted against LGBT, you voted against veterans. Oh, the other thing we slipped in? Oh, it's a minor fact. Disappointing. Yeah, yeah well, I hear you. And that's, listen, that's why you and other politicians get a forum on WICC, on Paul's show, my show, Melissa's show, because... We feel as the voters and the people who listen to WICC are voters, we want to get to know you as a human. We want to get to understand your thinking and your rationale for why you vote yay or nay on something. And you have to hope that in the end, that November, the people that are listening and thinking about it are making an informed judgment. That's, that's the only chance you've got, Tony Wong, right? That's it. Let us get to know you, well, hear your thinking. That, that's it. I'll add you to know? that your listeners and people like you who bring the information to them that isn't always readily covered on the on the, 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 the media stand platform, the standard media platform, is an incredible value to to democracy and transparency. Yeah, well, we try. I mean, I think you've got three local hosts doing it from 5 a.m. to 6 p.m., and we're trying. We, we really do try. And I want to say, Tony Wong, I, I thank you because I know that I know how seriously you take your commitment to public service. I've seen it over all these many years, and it hasn't always been easy. And every time you turn around, you have to run for reelection again. And it isn't easy. Uh, but you keep at it, and you keep at it with enthusiasm. And that is a model to a lot of us, because we need leadership you know, that cares about us, whether we agree with you or disagree with you on a particular bill. We know that your heart, that you care about us, and... 
And that's wonderful. So I want to thank you for that. I mean that truly. Well, Lisa, you do the same. And for me, it's it's one of the greatest privileges and honor I have is to be a, a representative, second to being a husband, a parent. Um, and, and, and I must tell you, um, you yourself are, are a tremendous uh, uh, point of admiration for me. Uh, but on a side note, let me say this. I'm saying it out loud to Avello. Get a flight and get this wonderful lady down to Florida. Oh, no. Listen. Between us, forget it. Um, I, I have it on very good authority to skip a velo today. So I am. So I just made a reservation with JetBlue because, you know, I have to get from here to West Palm, where my dad, who's going to be 94, thought that he was actually going to be picking me up at 7 o'clock tonight. And I just texted him, Daddy, forget it. I'm going to take an Uber because I rebooked on JetBlue, but they've just told me they're in a two-and-a-half-hour delay. So hopefully at some point... I will get down there because every four weeks, like clockwork, I have to see my parents, Tony. I have to see them. That's what I have to do. I'm lucky well, that they're around. I got to see my parents. Uh, got to see my, my mom and dad. Well, that, that is so special. And please extend happy birthday wishes to everyone. And uh, I will. Uh, have a safe flight. And, and thank you so much, Lisa, for the opportunity to share. You're always welcome on the show. State Senator Tony Wong from the 28th. We'll be right back. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 